Hey, SalesLift Nation, it's your host, Tyler Lindley. Today, I have Chet Lovegren on the podcast. Hey, Chet, how you doing today? Doing well, Tyler. Good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on. So Chet is the host of the Sales RX podcast. So he is the head sales RXer of that Sales RX community. And today we're going to be talking sales development, specifically outbound and building that outbound muscle into your sales organization. Now, Chet, I know this is a highly debated topic, especially if you know folks are used to managing inbound, they're confused maybe about how to build this outbound muscle into their revenue engine. What do you think are some best practices for folks just getting started in terms of building that outbound for their AEs or for their SDRs, just for anybody that's doing outbound outreach? What does good look like for you there? Yeah, that's a great question, Tyler. So for, for me, particularly on the sales dev side, speaking from that experience, right, I think it's important to understand specialization. You also don't want to take away all the power from your inbound SDRs to be able to go and find more food. The sad reality is that sometimes the buffet's a little light for marketing, right? <laughs> yeah. There's seasonality, there's ebbs and flows between MQLs. And so it's important to have some structure in place for them to be able to go and find some more food, but also specialize and have your own outbound reps. So what I typically recommend is to structure probably half of your inbound as outbound, meaning so let's say you have four SDRs, go and find two business development reps, two BDRs to do full-time outbound. The biggest trick is, well, what do they work on though? If we're doing just full outbound, what are they just going off Google Maps, finding people in our ideal customer profile and, and reaching out to them? Are they building lists off Zoom info or Seamless based on our industry? Maybe you work in a niche industry, so it's really hard to find people. So you might just look at a, a Google Map on people that are current customers of your product or service and target those people. I think it's really important to set some rules and guidelines in place for how that works, though. I think a big thing in a lot of companies is uh, they already have the greatest source of leads that they could use, which is their CRM. It's really important to retarget, resequence your CRM. So one, one thing for me is I like to set guidelines on what we're going to deem still marketing qualified interest and what we're going to deem retargeted interest. I get that people would like to pee on a tree once and say it's theirs forever, <laughs> the weird uh, analogy that is. But yeah. uh, unfortunately, in sales, it, it can't be like that yeah. because things become toxic. There has to be an understanding of a legit timeline and where things can attribute interest in. That's one big recommendation is you, you have to clearly define in your CRM the timeline in which something can be considered an MQL when it's retargeted or resequenced, and then a time in which you can say, hey, BDRs, go filter these lists. These people haven't engaged with us in over a year. We're going to call that outbound activity. Yeah, I think that's the best place to start before you go start finding new stuff that's new to your CRM. Because after a while, if you're just spending all this time list building and finding new stuff, you start seeing, oh, we have these 800 maybe 2,000 records that haven't talked to us in over a year. They're stuck in some weird campaign. We, we're just, they're just getting email content. Yep. We really should have somebody work that. But I'm a big fan of specialization. So if you're building an outbound department, 25% of the work your SDRs on the inbound side do could be retargeting MQLs within six months that haven't been converted or contacted. Maybe they ran through a sequence or two. They never responded. But you really do need to have outbound specific reps to do full-time outbounding. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Such a great point with the CRM. I feel like most folks, when they're thinking of outbound, of doing outbound, the first place they go is, all right, got to go build the list. Got to go figure out who we want to target. When, unless you started your company yesterday, you likely have 
a lot of that unmined gold, closed loss deals, just old deals, or just people that you've reached out to in the past who signed up for that webinar three years ago that haven't been touched. They're just in some random sequence, if, if anything at all. So they, they likely haven't been touched with anything personalized or relevant to them in a long time. And that's probably the best place to start. As you're starting that process of going into your CRM, that can be a daunting task to understand where to start. Where would you recommend folks direct their outbound reps to start as they start digging into their CRM deeper and the existing accounts that they already have? Yeah, so I'm probably going to have a bunch of sales dev leaders roll over in their grave by saying this, but I'm actually a proponent of your sales dev team never touching lost ops. I think those should stay with AEs. If AEs are going to have some form of, hey, you need to outbound or come bring some of your own opportunities and self-generate, don't make it hard on them. I also have a really weird perception where I really don't think AEs should have to do any prospecting. I know that's not <laughs> what what people think. No but I prospecting. Think AEs should no do no prospecting. Why is that, Chip? Yeah. Because you hired them to close. If you didn't, they would be in sales dev. True. If we wanted them to prospect, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, again, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of specialization. So yeah. I would prefer to work in an organization where our sales dev team is doing so much that our AEs never have to pick up the phone to mm-hmm. go cold call someone. And if they do, let's give them the path of least resistance because we know they don't really want to. We know they don't really, even if they have to. Let's give them the path of least resistance, lost opportunities. And those should be directors of sales should be running lost opportunities through a three to six month um, distribution. So they're evenly distributed unless it's within three months and a previous rep had already talked to them, things like that in terms of touch rules. But when we're talking about like outbound reps, my belief is that SDR should be given lists of leads that were never contacted or converted within six months. So run a rolling six month list at the beginning of every month. Hey, Dave. Hey, Liz. Hey, Josh, like here, here's your list of leads to work in addition to the MQLs you get this month. Here's your re- resequencing leads. Yep. And then on the outbound side, look at people that are more than six months that haven't been contacted or converted. Whether you're doing things from an account or a lead level, build a list view, sort by last activity, mm-hmm. make it greater than the date six months prior yep. and just go through it. Go through as many as you can. I thoroughly have never seen a company that's been able to work through their entire CRM. So the the idea of going and building more lists for other things, I typically like list building when we're talking about like enterprise accounts or named mm. accounts or like franchises. If you have a agreement with a franchise, I don't know, like a TCBY yogurt. I don't even know if they're still around. <laughs> but if, if that's like something your company has a corporate contract with yep. to go pursue them and be like, hey, we offer the greatest rates on POS credit card software and you're a franchise location. Who are you currently using? Yep. Oh, you should look into us, whatever yep. those that mentality looks like. But I say six months or more for BDRs on the outbound side and then resequencing within six months on the SDR side is the best place to look in the CRM. Got it. That makes sense. So it sounds like you brought up this idea of specialization a few times, which I think people fall on different sides of the coin in terms of, do they think you just have a bunch of full cycle reps where they're doing their own prospecting and their own full cycle AEs and with no SDRs, or do we specialize? Do we have the SDRs handle the top of the funnel and you know the AEs step in at whatever point of qualification all the way to the bottom? Why are you a huge proponent of specialization? So the, the reason being is that, unfortunately, probably one out of every 10 reps I meet, whether they're an SDR, BDR, MDR, LDR, whatever DR, you know, <laughs> um, AE, senior AE, enterprise yep. AE, 
the sad reality is probably one in 10 of them actually have the ability to block schedule, stick to a block scheduling mentality and, and, and follow plan. Yeah. Again, path of least resistance, make it as easy for your team as possible. Find room in the budget for it to make sense to have the headcount appropriate to get to where you need to go while letting people specialize. If you can follow a plan, you have a great habit stack, you're able to follow a routine really well, you've got everything lined up the way it needs to, that's great. You'll find time for prospecting, time for discovery calls, demos, like you'll be able to stay on track with whatever's thrown your way. Again, unfortunately, the sad reality is that's not the majority of people in sales. If we were, we'd probably be doctors and lawyers, not salespeople. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And that process of uh, that concept of time blocking is something that I talk to reps about a lot. And most have never heard of that before. Don't understand the kind of cost of task switching and just why would I do this? Oh, this is boring. My schedule looks the exact same every day or every Tuesday is the same. This is so boring. So they throw back those objections. But why do you think it sounds like you're a proponent of time blocking, right, Chet? Um, Big time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that's effective in a sales role? I think uh, one multitasking is a myth, right? I yeah. can't quote any studies off the top of my head, but you look at anything, it's an absolute myth. You can't, you just can't multitask. I even find it with like books on tape or audible books or not physical <laughs> books on tape. But I always joke with people. I'm like, I'm the most illiterate reader you'll ever meet. Yeah. I cannot stand to read. I just love popping my ear pods in and, and going at it with the book on tape. Yep. I cannot do that while I'm writing an email mm-hmm. or browsing stocks or looking at crypto or whatever the heck I'm doing. I literally can only do it when I'm doing mundane tasks, things that have that muscle memory already in place. That's just pick up the dishes, put them there, scoop up the dog droppings in the backyard, walk the lot. You know right. what I mean? Like those mow kind the of lawn. things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the basics. Yeah, mow the lawn. Driving. Sad as that is. Driving requires a lot of attention. <laughs> driving to the going store. Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going here. Yeah. You're shopping at the store. You're yeah. just, okay, rigatoni. All right. <laughs> Black beans. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Versus um, like if you're sending an email or something that requires your active attention, it's not this, mm-hmm. especially if it's personalized, you can't just, you can't just do that while you're listening to something else. It becomes... Mm-hmm. That email becomes very poor very quickly. It's why lo-fi and chill wave and dubstep became so popular and have because it's for studying right now with the emergence of YouTube back in 07, 08, when those YouTube playlists were, I digress, but it's just monotonous music in the background with the steady droning while you're sitting there studying or working or hammering for a final or whatever. But yeah, in, in terms of time blocking, it's just something where. I remember Jeb Blunt from Fanatical Prospecting telling the story about um, this company he went to go consult for and he was walking around one day and this guy was just a complainer and this and that and the other. And he was just like, oh man, nobody's buying today. Nobody wants anything, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, hey, where's your sheet? And he goes, oh, well, I didn't fill it out. I've just been making calls. He made like a hundred calls today. Nobody wants anything. He's like, yeah, but okay, where's your sheet? And he's like, I haven't filled it out yet. I'm, I'm okay, well, you're <laughs> supposed to be filling your sheet out with every call. Like yeah. you're supposed to be tracking it. That's the thing. That's the muscle memory task that keeps you yep. on focus. So when they actually sat down and dug through the CRM, they found that he made like 18 calls that day so far. Mm-hmm. But he felt he had made like 100. When you don't have a way to gamify the process a little bit, make the first, uh, I think it's like the, the 20, 30 rule. In the first 30 minutes, these are the 20 calls that I want to get to. It might be 10, 15 that some people follow, but it's like set your first 10 to 20 calls up yeah. the first thing in the morning that you want to do yep. before you even respond to email, depending on what your start time That's is. so important. Jump into those yeah, calls. Don't yeah, get into, into email first. That'll be an hour uh, later. Yeah, exactly. I close my email. My process is when I was rep cold call mm-hmm. and then I write my notes down separately. Yep. 
And then I do my admin follow-up. So if I talk to someone and they don't want to buy and, you know, I drill down still to a problem, hey, send me some literature. Hey, I can send you everything you need to know about my company. What's going to be important for you for that conversation three or four months down the road? Oh, this and this. Okay. And if I can't get the appointment off of that pain point, I'll agree to just send some literature. I don't go and send that right there. No way, because now I'm entrenched in email, then a Teams message comes up, then another email pops in. Next thing you know, I haven't made another call for 18 minutes. Right. Next I thing you know, you're on social media. Like next thing, like you've taken an hour and a half break. Like next thing you know, it's yep. one o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, 100%. I go, Tyler needs this product, one sheet, and yep. the high-level demo video. Okay, perfect. Boom. Boom. Make my next call. Yep. So then when that call block is done, then I do my admin follow-up, which is sending those emails, yep. sending those one-off emails. Maybe Tyler's not the right person to speak to. He told me I, I, I need to speak to Daniel. So I write down, hey, talk to Daniel at this company. Tyler said, hey, this is the person you want to talk to, refer to other contact. I'll go and resequence them during my prospecting block, not mm-hmm. even during my admin block. I don't do it right there and then. Yep. Because that's the thing. You have to have tunnel vision when you're doing this time blocking. Because if not, you'll look up and you'll have made 12 calls and you'll feel like you did 100. Yep. It's, it's just a reality. And there's not a single person who can do one-off tasks and, and yeah. get through their day. You no, just yeah. have to, you, and you have to gamify it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's interesting. Like why do reps feel like they've got to send that email right then in that moment, right? When you hop off the phone with somebody, oh, I need to email them right now. I need to put them in sequence right now. If I don't do it in the next 10 seconds, they're going to forget about me versus yeah. continuing to do you know that next call, calling that next person and then emailing them a few hours later. Like you're going to email them. Why do reps have that misconception that if I don't email them right now, then I lost the opportunity? It sucks, but it's false external sense of self. Hmm. That we think that we're Twitter's told us that my status, my, my little tweet is so important that people want to read it. <laughs> my yeah. LinkedIn article is so important. People want to like it. People yeah. want to think it's, oh, it's curious. Oh, light bulb. We think that our, we think that our prospect is going to remember us. We think that they're waiting on that email. We think that it's important to them. Most of the time it's a push off, yeah. right? Maybe down the road we'll gain some interest. Reality is they're not going to look at that product one sheet. They're not going to read your case study. No. That's why I keep talking about the, there's this whole conversation in the marketing world about gated versus ungated content. Path of least resistance again. Why would you gate everything? Like yeah. don't gate everything except maybe a demo, right? Yeah. That's, that's maybe it. But gate a few things, like, but yeah, ungate as much as you can. Yeah, ungate as much as you can because at a, what, 2 to 3% click rate, maybe 5% click rate. How often are people really clicking to read that case study? Very I love rarely. case studies yeah. because stories sell over stats, but most of the time people don't read the stuff. It's just, a, it's just a gentle push. It's just a way to put some information in front of them in case they end up looking at it. I am a product one sheet person. The company I'm at right now raised 45 million in capital and that was two months ago and I've been getting so many sales emails. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Crunchbase and every rep yeah, that no. lives off Crunchbase. <laughs> but uh, I, I do some, sometimes when I get that compelling cold email, which by the way, let me say, I've probably gotten over 200 sales emails in two months. I've received two phone calls. So that's really weird to me because my cell phone is in my email signature on all my replies. My cell phone number's <laughs> on Zoom info. It's crazy. I thought I'd get a little, a few more cold calls, but. Did you do that um, intentionally? Did you want to get those cold calls? Were you surprised you didn't? I just think it's interesting. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of, even if somebody says they're not interested over email, so call them. Right, exactly. Call them immediately. Let's figure out if they're really yeah. not interested. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, hey. 
If I'm not interested, I don't email someone back. I just click delete and then I move on with my day. I don't say, you know what? I'm not interested right now, which basically means I might be interested later or like I'm, I'm responding for some reason, right? You don't just randomly respond to emails. <laughs> of course, if I don't respond at all, like I get the point, but if yeah. I am hey, not really interested right now, pretty busy. Other than being busy, what's got you not interested? Are you purely not interested or is there... Are you in a contract with a provider like ours and you couldn't yeah. do anything even if you wanted? Well, <laughs> like, uh, you know, kind of uh, might be looking around. I don't know. We're, we're not super pleased with what we've got currently. Oh, interesting. Tell yeah. me more about that. Like, exactly. Open up the discussion. Like they're the mm -hmm. one that's, they've responded. Now it's your job to go open up the discussion. So. I tell reps all the time. It's like when we get in a one-on-one -on, -one on Tuesday, right? Hey, how was your weekend? Oh, it was great. I don't just move on with the conversation. Interesting. What made it great? What'd you do? Yep. What made it good? What made it great? What made it bad? Yep. I want more clarification of your label. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same thing. I'm not interested. Yep. Well, hey, what, why, what is that lack of interest because of like purely not interested or even if my product went to the moon and brought back minerals, you still wouldn't be able to buy it because you're in a contract. Like, what, what do we, what do we got going on here? You I, know? Love, Help me I love the way you said that, Chet. You said the clarification of your label. I tell reps, like, you're trying to figure out if it's a brush off versus a true objection. But yeah. like, essentially, that's the same thing that like clarifying what they actually mean, because people say vague things. Mm -hmm. People are vague all the time, but we want them to clarify, right? Yeah. My favorite is I'm busy. Yeah. I love it. Because like I hear different things and I hear I'm busy. I hear perfect. You're going to keep me in business then. And I always <laughs> tell people, hey, that's great. We love to work with people that are busy. Yeah, exactly. You want to know why? They're the ones that typically pay our bills and stick around the longest. Right. And they also get the most value out of our product. Right. <laughs> the fact that you're busy does not mean we should not talk. Exactly. If anything, that means we should talk. So <laughs> I might be able to save you some time. Like, yeah, that's the, the, being busy is the, is the anti-objection to me. That's like the reason to do something. <laughs> like, hey, you're a VP of operations. You're too busy. You should be on the golf course right now. What are you doing working? It's, it's 4 o'clock <laughs> on a Friday. What do you mean you're too busy? Yeah. Exactly. No, I think that that's a great way to respond to that objection. And that's a part of building these muscles. Like when we go back to thinking about outbound and thinking about building some of those muscles, it's not like inbound, right? They're not fit all those stats that say, oh, buyers these days are doing everything online. They're 70% through their buyer's journey when they get in your plate. That's assuming they're inbound though. That, that, that has nothing to do with outbound. When they're outbound, they might be 0% through their buyer's journey because they don't have this problem or need this solution. They might not even be aware of this. That Those stats to me apply to inbound, but don't have much credence when it comes to outbound. Do you agree or disagree? I don't even agree with that on the inbound side. Really? If you saw okay, that, why not? Yeah. How the amount of people that we talk to that don't even actually have the business that we sell into yet and don't even have the customers to do the business that we sell into is staggering. Mm. They're just dreamers. They're just dreamers thinking about it dreamers or maybe they come from a similar large company and they're going out on their own with their experience and they found some funding yep. or capital or yep. they, we work in e-commerce right now where I'm at. So it's, it's a big part of the pie, but the outbound deals, the thing I like about them is that they're typically bigger in size mm -hmm. because you can find them. The inbound ones are smaller because nobody knows who they are. That's why they're raising their hand. You know, if Kellogg's is looking for a new company to run their safety protocols for their manufacturing plant, you can find Kellogg's if you sell safety manufacturing, monitoring software, some crap, whatever. So Kel Kellogg's isn't raising their hand for that. Right. They're not looking to go save the money or do that. They got everybody calling them, right? Yep. So that's what I love about the outbound ones because you're able to find them online. They're typically bigger deals, right? Because they're bigger customers. Mm -hmm. They have they have more volume. They have more need. 
it's the inbound ones that are typically the smaller ones because they're the, hey, help me out. I'm, I'm the hand raiser. Nobody really knows who I am. That's why nobody's called me yet, and I'm looking for it. Yep. I think in consumer sales, that 70% thing rings true, right? Mm, I yeah. think about myself. If I want to refinance my my car or I want to buy new insurance, like I'm doing most of my research online already that I know like yeah. these are the three companies that are the best. I'm just going to see who gives me the best rate. But in, in business I, I don't find that a lot. I find a lot of inbound people are almost looking for that expertise, like challenger sale. We actually yep. apply challenger sale to our inbound, gap selling by Keenan to our outbound. Yep. That's how we think about it. Like, yep. let me let me show you on the outbound why we should spur change. On the inbound side, let me show you why you shouldn't look at anybody else because we're the experts. And yep. Here's why. Yeah. You might be one person that has all the research and the information, but we're leveraging 900 customers that work with us successfully day in and day out. So the sum of 900 operations that are successful is knowledge versus one is far greater, yep. right? So take what we say as credence, right? But on the outbound side, it's, hey, you might know where you want to go, but we also know where you might want to go. In addition, we can get to the root cause of that problem. I think the research thing is a big part, but it's really weird in, maybe it's just the industry I'm in right now, but I... It seems like a lot of the inbound people, the hand raisers, they don't know where to go. They don't yeah. know what to look at, what to expect. And you got to teach them these days. That's why I love hiring people from education backgrounds or mm -hmm. SDRs out of college that were tutors because teaching value and teaching expertise and why it's important is so vital to the success of trying to get your prospect to understand your expertise and where you're coming from. Yeah, a lot to unpack there, but so many great points. I love that idea of having two different sales methodologies, thought processes, conversations, depending on whether it's inbound or outbound. I think a lot of people say that, but then they end up having the same conversations, they end up saying the same thing. They try to sell in the same way, but it is vastly different. And that's an important point that I think maybe a lot of folks miss. Chet, what else haven't we touched on in terms of sales development and building this outbound muscle that you think would be important for our audience to know in closing? Just stick with it. Outbound takes a while to build. You also need to structure your goals differently. If you're going to measure opt to close, you need to give your AEs a fair shot and measure inbound versus outbound. You need to have everything out inbound specific in terms of data, everything outbound specific in terms of data, because they're two, they're two different beasts. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you also need to have a blended rate too. That's an important thing. Out, outbound does close at a lower rate. Typically, it also takes longer to close. So if you have a 45-day sales cycle and you start seeing it creeping up to that 68, 70-day mark, Look at your outbound numbers. Like how much of that, how many of those deals were from outbound? That might have something to do with it. Yep. So you need to have inbound, outbound specific data measurements, but also run a blended number as well. It's the same with your average deal size. Like I said, what I see mostly is inbounds a little bit lower. Outbounds quite a bit higher because they're typically bigger customers. So right. that is one thing that as you begin to build that, don't forget to segment your data from the beginning because if not, you're going to give an unfair look at your business and it's not going to be a very holistic view because everything will be blended from the start. But that's the same way you use different methodologies for selling to those different channels. Yep. You definitely need to measure them differently. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. Chet, bringing the heat today. Love it. If my listeners want to find you online, how can they do so? You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can also go to my website, www.thesalesdocrx. That's R as in Robert, X as in x-ray.com. Okay. Or you can look up Sales Rx Podcast on LinkedIn. And there's uh, links to every single channel that I think we're on like 18 different channels. Not that it's a big deal. Only two of them really get listens, which is Spotify and Apple. So. Yeah, I know, right? We're on all these channels and yeah. these are the two that matter. So uh, yeah. um, I think I'll... I got one from Breaker or something. Right, like, exactly. Like, yeah, usually one or who's, two from Breaker. Who's on that? Like, who listens yeah. on that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Chet. Had a blast. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll do it again soon, okay? All right. Thanks, Tyler. All right. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas. Now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.